Well, good morning, family. Good morning, family. Hey. Okay, so I did this in first service, so let's see. How y'all doing today? Let's try that one more time. How y'all doing today? There we go. There we go. There is joy in the house of the Lord because each morning we get to decree and declare, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Do y'all remember that old school hymn that we used to sing? We grew up in children's church. Let me see if you guys can help me out with it. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Hey, good job. That's awesome. So before we even just jump in this morning, I just want to say a few special thank yous. Thank you so much, Pastor Kenny. Thank you, Pastor Matt, Jason. Also to Kevin O'Neill and the Missions Committee. I'm so honored to be up to come up here today and just share a word of encouragement that God has been giving me in this season that I believe is going to apply to, to all of us today. And as we get into that, I really want to take a moment to introduce you to the most amazing three people in my life. That is my family, and they are actually here today. So family, I get to embarrass you. Will you all stand up real quick? <laughs> so go, you guys can sit down. Yeah, so that's my husband, Dave, in the picture there. He and I are celebrating 20 years of marriage this July. God is good. And our two beautiful girls, the one that's sitting in between Dave and I, that's Evangeline, and she is our spunky, almost 11-year-old. And then we've got our super sweet, smart, genius, 17-year-old Gabrielle, who's going to be heading to college this fall. And God just has great plans for them, you know. And I want to share a little testimony real quick about how God works miracles and that his plans will always be carried through. With both of my pregnancies, I had a disease called preeclampsia toxemia. It treats your pregnancy like it's attacking your body. And what can end up happening is that your internal organs begin to shut down and you can eventually die. So with both of my pregnancies, our firstborn, Gabrielle, she was born at 39 weeks full term, but I had the disease, but it was kind of hidden in my body. Two days after I had her, I almost died from post-eclamptic seizures. And we were in the hospital for a couple weeks and the doctors were like, she's a medical mystery. We're giving her all this medicine. We can't figure out how to stop these seizures. But I'm telling y'all, we had a family that was praying for us. And God came through, you know, and it's just so good. And little did we know that coming through that storm would then prepare us for the next storm we were going to face. Because our girls are almost seven years apart. And when we got pregnant with Evangeline, wouldn't you know that the disease came on even more, uh, like it attacked and it was more aggressive? So much so to the point that Evangeline had to be born at 23 weeks and two days via emergency C-section. And she weighed 12.4 ounces when she was born. But y'all, look at that picture, and you saw her now. God is good all the time. All the time. Yes, he's so faithful. You know, so when people, like, they, they come, sometimes come up to me and they ask me, oh, you seem so, why do you seem so happy all the time? Why do you say, and I go, oh, no, no, no. Don't get it twisted. I am not happy all the time. But what I can tell you is that the joy of the Lord is my strength because God has carried my family through so many storms, and he is a miracle-working God. I love the song Waymaker, even when I don't see it, you're working, because he does. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Never stop, never stop working. That's the goodness of our God. 
That is the goodness of our God. So today, as we dive deep into the word, as we dive deep into this encouragement, I really, really, really want to encourage and lovingly challenge you to get out whatever it is that you take notes on. Because I know for sure God is going to give each and every single one of us something in this room today. Because he says if we come and we ask and we seek, he will provide. And I know everyone came into this room today with a desire, with a need, with a want, whatever that is. And I believe God is going to use the word that he's given me and the encouragement he's given me to speak encouragement to you. So whether you're here in person or you're online watching the live stream, get something out and buckle your seatbelts because we're getting ready to go for a ride. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you. I thank you for this time that we could come together as your sons and daughters to receive what it is that you want to speak to us today, to be challenged by you, Father God, to live out your word, which says that we are to go. We are to go into all nations, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are to go and be disciples who make disciples. We are to go and help people to learn, to believe, and obey who you are, God. So would you speak to us today because we are here and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Be in this place and inhabit our praise. Everything that we do is for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So, friends, I love the fact that our theme is oofta, right? We heard pastors Matt and Kenny up here saying it. Uh, I am originally from Seattle, Washington, so trust me, I didn't even know this word existed till we moved here. And I was like, come again? What is a, what is a oofta? <laughs> I thought it was like a creature or something that was native to Minnesota. So, so looking at this, this is our theme for today, uniting friendship and family for discipleship advancement. That's exactly what God has called us to through his heart for us to walk in unity. And we're going to look at this scripture passage here. This comes from the Amplified Version, and it's Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Would you read it with me? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So then our sub-theme today is going to be using those three words, learn, believe, and obey. And how we're going to look at that today is learn, camp, believe, train, obey, and fight. Let's take a look at this video clip on the screen. Best of luck. Thank you, sir. Corporal, if you do manage to get to Colonel McKenzie, make sure there are witnesses. They are direct orders, sir. I know. But some men just want the fight. Thank you, sir. You see, this movie clip is based on a true story from the movie 1917. You see the commander giving the corporal his assignment, and he says, if you can make it, if you can make it to the front lines, because we all know the devastation of World War I and what they were up against. And his point was to say, when you get there, you have to make sure that you have witnesses because some men just want to fight. And he was actually going to deliver a message that would save over 1,600 lives of the British soldiers in that battalion from walking into a trap. And the point is, when we look at that, often in our lives, we as believers of Christ, we also have a big struggle. Many times we just want to fight. 
We want to fight, but we have to take the time. Instead of just jumping into the fight, we have to take the time to go deep in an intimate relationship with Jesus. We have to camp in the word of God to truly know what it means because he says then we will be his witnesses, right? The, corporal, the, the commander said, make sure you have witnesses, but Jesus has called us to be his witnesses. So when we go deep in the word of God, when we go deep in our intimacy with him, then we are able to listen to the Holy Spirit knowing what we truly believe in order to obey and fight the fight of faith the way that God has called us to. See, belief is not just knowing something, but belief is actually the faith and the obedience to carry out what you already know is true. Many of us have attended camps growing up, Cub Scout camps, Bible camps, different types of camps. But for today, we're going to use the term camp for learning. Webster's Dictionary talks about camp being a place with temporary accommodations. So just like the soldiers camp that we saw in 1917, the purpose of that camp was for soldiers to go and have active rest in which they were training in war combat they were also getting to know one another as they were fighting together because the purpose is you got to know who's on your left, you got to know who's on your right, you got to know who's in the front and the back because there has to be unified trust in order to accomplish what the task was. And then the next step that they would learn about the enemy that they were up against, their strengths, their weaknesses, and then how they would defeat that enemy. So today, we're going to take the time of camping and training and we're going to go into it this way. Number one. We're going to go in looking to discover who God says he is through God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Number two, we're going to learn and discover who God says we are as his sons and daughters, as the chosen ones. Then we're going to talk about number three, building relationships with one another. Again, we mentioned it earlier. It's been mentioned throughout this time, having a spirit of unity, which God calls us to do. And then we're going to look at who our true enemy is. And then who our true enemy is not. So did you know that there are over 950 names of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit throughout the word? And there are over 100 names of who he says we are. And the thing I love about that is often God will combine and he will carry through showing us who he is and then what the benefit of who he is then de declares and tells us who we are. Let's listen to a few of these. And I'm just telling y'all right now, some of you may want to get up and run around here because God is good and we're about to go deep. So God is Abba Father. So we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, Romans 8, 17. God is our advocate. So we are blameless and free from accusation, Colossians 1, God is our consuming fire. So we are the light of the world, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. God is our champion in battle, so we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, Revelations 12, 11. God is the deliverer, so we are rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. God is king of all kings, so we have the right to come boldly before the throne of Christ to find mercy and grace to help in time of need, Hebrews 4, chapter 16. God is the giver of life, so we are alive together with Christ, Ephesians 2.5. God is the mender of broken hearts, so we are complete in Jesus, Colossians 2, chapter 10. Sorry, Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. God is the God who sees, so we are not forgotten. 
For we have been chosen and predestined by the Father, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. And God is gracious and merciful, so we are reconciled to God, and we are ministers of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 19. Can I get an amen in the house? Now y'all can see why I said some of you might want to get up and run around, because when we know who God says we are and we know the authority, we can't help but to like that fire shut up in our bones that we can't contain that Ezekiel talks about. And this is just scratching the surface. This is just scratching the surface of what God already says he has done for us, then for, therefore declares who we are in him. Now, each of these ten could have their own sermon easily, but my hope is that hearing these words of who God says we are in him by who he is, that something has sparked within each of our souls that God confidence of carrying the authority through the power in the name of Jesus. Our God is awesome. He's amazing, magnificent. So now we're going to look at who our enemy is and not in order to learn who our enemy is. Again, amplified version, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Let's read this together. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. I want to camp here for just a moment and be real transparent with you all because I too am guilty of gossip. I, too, am guilty of hurting others. I'm guilty of aiming my anger at individuals when that is not what God says for us to do. We can't fight one another, especially, especially as the body of Christ, because you see the world is looking to us. And if we're busy involved in our own civil wars of pointing our fingers at one another, if we're so busy and telling, I can't believe you voted for this person in that that political party, then you're not a follower of Jesus. If we're too busy trying to prove what biblical doctrine is the right doctrine, guess what? We've completely lost sight of what God has called us to do as his hands and feet, carrying out the Great Commission. And my brothers and sisters, that is the plan of the enemy. He brings confusion He brings chaos, he brings discord, he brings disunity, but we have to stand against that. And the only way that we can is by knowing that our God is love. And that's what he's called us to do, love one another. He's called us to a spirit of unity. He's called us because we are his sons and daughters. He's called us to be in this world, but not of it. According to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the good, acceptable, perfect will of our Father. We have got to look past the differences that we may share and come together with the unity and the foundation that we are brought together by the blood of the Lamb And the word of our testimonies. Our God is faithful. You know, humanity does not have the answer. It doesn't matter who's the president of the United States. It doesn't matter who's doing the governor. It doesn't matter who the mayor. It doesn't matter. We're called to pray for those leaders, not tear them down. We're called to pray for them because we know humanity at its finest does not have the answer. The only answer is, come on, church, the only answer is. He is the answer for the world today. And when we focus on that, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else is added on to us. 
for all the prayer requests we have, countless prayer requests, did you know that Jesus, when he was here, he had only one that came from John chapter 17. He said, Father, I pray that they would be one, united together as he, Jesus, he says, as I am with you, my Father, would they be united. See, Jesus came into this world not to condemn it, but to bring the hope and the love of God through his life, death, and resurrection to this world. And that is what we must do as the body of Christ, my brothers and sisters, as the family of Jesus. We must carry the message of love and the cross to this world because that is the hope that we carry, and we cannot keep that to ourselves. So who is our enemy? 1 Peter 5, 8, let's read it together. Be sober, well-balanced, and self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. That's who our enemy is. Our enemy is the devil and his demons, the demonic forces. You know, the enemy is clever. But his tricks are still the same when it comes to the capital C church and who we are. He wants to get us fighting amongst ourselves, or he wants to get us comfortable in our Christian bubbles. Research has shown that when someone comes to know Jesus, becomes a follower of Jesus, within two years, they no longer have non-believing friends. You see, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so we cannot be surprised or angry or in shock when those who aren't followers of Jesus do things that contradict the Bible, do things that contradict what the word says. Because this world and Hollywood has made the spiritual realm so glamorous through all the things that we see today on social media, television and movie. We got the horror movies that make things look so cool. We've got the, the television of the things that we see also through um, psychological thrillers. Or reality TV, right? And it blinds us from seeing what's really going on behind the scenes. And for the world, again, I'll say it again, the devil and his demons are using the same tactics they've used from the beginning of time, but the fact now that they have more avenues of technology means that we're having those things right in front of our faces. We have got to be sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit because what we put in our spirit is what we're going to get out of it. So the things that we consume, the things that we digest spiritually is going to be what comes out and what overflows because out of the heart flows the issues of life. You see, and blinding doesn't happen overnight. And spiritual blindness can actually be more dangerous than physical blindness because what it does is it blocks our spirits from seeing what's really going on around us. It blocks us and makes us numb from those that are around us that are hurting, dying, and lost. And it keeps us comfortable in our own flow of life, our own rhythms of life. And that is the plan of the enemy. Again, what we put in our spirits is what's going to come out of it. So we have to ask God to open our spiritual eyes, to help us to see those that are not followers of Jesus, not with apathy, but with empathy. Not with anger, but with love. Not with a heart of indifference, but a heart of compassion. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5 says this. 
do not judge and criticize and condemn so that you will not be judged. For just as you judge others, so you will be judged. In accordance with your standard of measure, judgment will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice and acknowledge the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You pretender. First get the log out of your own eye, then you will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's a heart of love. Church, we have to understand and realize that we are only saved by grace. That is the difference between somebody who doesn't know Jesus and who we are. We cannot point fingers and be like, oh, I would never do that. Really? Really? We have to have such compassion. You know, there's many attributes to our king and God that says in the Bible about his faithfulness and about his righteousness. But you know, there's one thing that it says God is. God is love. He is love, and we are to be imitators of Christ and walk in that love. Those who don't know Jesus, our family, our friends, our coworkers, people that we see, they are not our enemies. They are the ones that we must fight for, not against. If we want to truly be, brothers and sisters, if we really, truly want to be the world-changing disciples who make disciples, then we must be in a constant state of self-examination, just like David did in Psalm chapter 51. He sang these words, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. That's what his heart's prayer was. That's what his heart's cry was. Very little times, though, do we read the scripture that follows that. David said, Lord, if you do create in me a clean heart, if you do renew a right spirit within me, if you do not take your Holy Spirit from me, if you do give me these things, God, that I so desire, if you do, I promise to teach rebels your ways and help sinners find their way back to you. Church, to teach and help, not force and coerce. To teach and help. Our hearts must be hearts of humility, knowing that we are sinners saved by grace. I cannot say that enough. If we're to take the hope of Jesus and the hope of God, the hope of Christ, the message of the cross, into our workspaces, into our communities, into places that God has given us influence over, we must realize that God did not send Jesus to the world to condemn the world, but to see those that would be saved through the hope that is in Jesus, and he's called us to do the same. Let's take a look at this scripture again together. Let's read it, church. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Believe. Train. Holy reverence and honor of God is the beginning of knowledge, and knowledge is where we form our beliefs. Our Minnesota Vikings, Wild, Timberwolves, Twins, St. Paul Saints, they all train believing that specific techniques that they use will then enhance their performance once they hit the sports arena because the hope is that they would make it to the championship game and then become the champions. But as followers of Jesus, guess what, church? We train in the word of God, being intimate in our relationship with Jesus, because the fact is, is when we lift high the name of Jesus, guess what? God is going to do what he promises by drawing all men onto him. That is our championship game, and Jesus is already our champion. So we don't have to walk forward with a hope of maybe if, I don't know if it's going to happen. No, no, no. It's already done. It's already done. That's the authority that we walk in. We must know what we believe, which means our training can never stop. Even in the off-season, an athlete will train because they cannot rely only on their sheer talent. And 1 Peter tells us in chapter 3, verse 15, that we are to be ready in season and out of season to give the reason for the hope that is within us. So that means our training never stops. Our going deep in intimacy and the word of God never stops. I want to repeat the statement I made earlier. Belief is not just something you know, but belief is the faith and the obedience to act on that something as if you already know it's true. Evangelist and pastor Mark Driscoll made this statement on faith. Faith is not just what we believe internally, it is how we behave externally. I'm going to repeat that one again. I feel like that's for somebody in the house today, probably for all of us, but specifically I think God's talking to someone. Faith is not just what we believe internally, it's how we behave externally. Listen to this story. So back in the 1920s, there was a businessman, and he had done really, really, really well before those 1920s, because we all know what happened in the 1920s. So the recession happens, everything crashes, and he is sitting on a bench in a park, scratching his head, going, I have no clue what I am going to do. The business has gone under. All these families that are, are trusting and believing that they're going to be able to pay their bills and put food on the table, I don't know what to tell them. I'm at a loss. So he's sitting on this park bench, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this older gentleman appears before him, and the older gentleman walks up to him and says, Son, you look bothered. What's going on? The businessman proceeds to tell the older gentleman about his worries, about his issues. And the older gentleman says, Well, I think I might be able to help you. He asks the businessman his name, takes out a checkbook, and writes him a check for $500,000. So just as he appeared, he disappears that quickly. So the, the businessman was like, who is this person? He looks down at the check, and would you not know that the person who wrote him the check was considered to be one of the richest men in the world, Mr. John D. Rockefeller. So this businessman walks away from the park going, I have everything I need. This is the answer to all of my problems. But then he said, wow, I can't believe that this man who doesn't even know me wrote me this check for half a million dollars. Something changed inside of him. He began to believe in himself. And instead of walking to the bank to cash that check, 
he actually put the check into a safe and then began to implement some of the ideas that he had thought of before he felt defeated. Within two months, those ideas implemented not only got the business out of debt, but also began to make money and began to circulate. And then he also remembered there were small words written at the bottom of the check in the, in the memo line, and it said, meet me here at the same place a year from now. A year from now, he was there. He was at that same spot. And the man had also said, you're going to give me my money back. Okay. $500,000, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ. Okay, so he meets him back at that spot, and the man appeared just as quickly as he had done the last time, and the businessman was getting ready to tell him the triumph and the business coming out of debt and all this stuff, and would you not know that a nurse runs up, and she says to the businessman, oh, I'm so sorry, and she grabs the old man, and she goes, he's been running around writing checks telling people he's John D. Rockefeller. I'm so sorry. So the businessman is like baffled. He sits there for a moment going, what just happened? There's something that was really beautiful about that is that as soon as he encountered someone that didn't even know him, that believed in him enough to invest half a million dollars, Something happened inside of him. He began to believe in himself. He began to have confidence in who he was. And that was just material possessions. Family, I am here today to tell you that we serve a God who knew us before we even formed in our mother's womb, who said before the very foundations of the earth, I created you. I have a desire to give you a plan and a purpose not to harm you, but to give you a future. And that's not just for a few of us in this room. It's for all of us, his sons and daughters. He wants us to have confidence in who he is because he says when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, everything else is added on to us. We don't need to worry. We don't need to stress. We don't need to try to think how is this going to happen because God is our provider. He's our healer. He's our deliverer. He is everything. If I took all day to talk about it, we'd be here till tonight. He is that good. In 1 Timothy, Paul talks about spiritual training being a value in everything and in every way because it holds the promise not only for this present life but for the life to come of eternity in Jesus and that is the hope that we must carry and share with the world. I'll use this statement again. Belief is not just knowing something. Belief is the faith and the obedience to act on that something as though you know it's true. Faith and belief go hand in hand. I'm going to paraphrase this bit of James chapter 1 for us starting at verse 19. It says, understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let everyone be quick to be careful, thoughtful listeners, a speaker of carefully chosen words, patient, reflective, and forgiving. Actively and continually obey God's word. Don't just hear the word. For if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it, he is like a man who looks carefully at his natural face in a mirror, and once he has gone away, he immediately forgets what he looks like. But he who looks carefully into the perfect law will be blessed and favored by God in his life of obedience. Visit and look after the fatherless and the widows in their distress and keep oneself uncontaminated by the secular world. 
I love that last part when it tells us to look after the fatherless and the widows. I want to unpack that in a way maybe we haven't heard before that the Holy Spirit revealed to me this week. Being the fatherless, anyone and everyone around us who, don't, who doesn't have a relationship with God because he is our heavenly father. And the widows, anyone and everyone around us who doesn't know God and have a relationship with God because what has God called us? He's called us the body and the bride of Christ. So anyone who's walking is like, doesn't have Jesus, doesn't have being his, the bridegroom of who he is. God has called us to be his hands and his feet. Let's take a look at our scripture again. Why don't we read it together? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Obey, fight. Why did I put those two words together? Because obedience is a fight. Obedience is a fight against our own flesh and a fight for the lost souls of those who God has called us to, our friends, our family, our coworkers, that random person that we see at the grocery store that maybe dropped something to not just walk by but to help. Our flesh tells us that you don't have to do anything. Your life is comfortable. But God says, don't just hear my word. Do what it says. Our flesh tells us someone else is doing it, but God tells us to do what his will is. Our flesh tells us your life is already busy with everything, but God tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Our flesh tells us you came into the grocery store to get groceries, so don't worry about that single mom that's struggling to find her money to pay for the groceries in the aisle next to you and her kids are running rampant. God says for us to help those in need if it was within our means to do so. Fighting against our own flesh, church, is a daily choice. It's not easy. That's why we have to trust that through Christ we can do all things because it's in our weakness that he is made strong. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, paraphrase says this, and he was saying to them, if anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must set aside selfish interest, express a willingness to endure whatever may come, and believe in me. Conforming to my example in living and if need be, suffering and perhaps dying because of faith in me. Helping others to learn, believe, and obey God's word is a fight. And it takes patience, lots of patience. We cannot expect as soon as we begin to share the truth of who Jesus is for somebody to immediately accept it. We don't know what they've been through. We don't know the struggles and the trauma and the things that have happened to them. We don't know if all they've ever heard about God is someone who's looking down to see what you're doing wrong, to thump them on the head. We don't know. That's why the scripture passage that I read before tells us that we are to be quick to listen and so slow to speak. Because when we have a heart of a listener, and not a listener, a sister and I were talking about it earlier, not a listener that's just listening to form a reply. But a listener that's really listening to hear the heart of the individual because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's the heart of our Father. He wants us to listen, just as He calls us to abide in Him. My children, He says, Abide in me, abide in me, and my word abides in you. And then you ask what you will, and it shall be given. 
I want to share this story here about a testimony. That's myself, and then on the other side, the gentleman, his name is Aaron, a dear friend of mine. In the middle is our sister, Betsy. Betsy, I happened to be, meet back in 2020 at 36 in Chicago, also known as the George Floyd Square. We had been down there with our Steiger family, and we were just going just to be present. Sometimes people just need you to be present. So we just went to be present, and we said, God, if you have people for us to meet, you're going to show us, you're going to highlight them to us, and God highlighted Betsy to me. And I was able to pray for her. And when I was just listening, just listening, she then began to open up her heart and share the story with me that she had come down to the George Floyd Square just to buy a shirt for a friend, and then she was going to go home and end her life because she felt like her life didn't matter. She felt like nobody's going to miss me while I'm gone. She felt like it's hopeless. There's no answer. Well, what God did that day, he turned everything around simply because we were obedient to go down there and just be present and just listen. And today, Betsy and I are still in touch. Her joy, it just radiates so effortlessly from her. She then began to come with our Steiger team on outreaches and share God's promise and share God's miracle what he did in her life that day. And today, she's living her life for Jesus at her job, sharing about God with whoever God tells her to share about, and she's doing fantastic. That is what God does when we are obedient to be his hands and feet. You know, just like when we go to attend a wedding ceremony, we go to support the bride and the groom, but we can't drag them down the aisle and force them to say the I do's. We can't sit in their house every day going, do you still say I do? How about now? Do you still say I do? Do you? You know, that's, that's, we can't do that. And that's exactly what we cannot do when it comes to ministering to an individual who doesn't know Jesus. We can't force them to accept. We can't force them to believe. That's why God's word says to help, to help. And we do that by knowing faith, hope, and love are our greatest weapons we can use according to 1 Corinthians 13. Abiding trust in God's love for us and unselfish love for others is what should activate us into a powerful life of prayer. Communing with the Holy Spirit, asking God, what do you have for me? And then obeying and doing it. You know, at the beginning of the year, I was at a conference when I heard the passage from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, which many of us know as the Lord's Prayer, unpacked in a way I've never heard it before. Would you all join me in saying our Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. You know, when Jesus was teaching this to his disciples, he wasn't telling them, you have to pray this prayer every single time, don't use any other words. What he was doing was giving them a blueprint. And I want to just unpack this blueprint for us. My Father in heaven, reverence. Hallowed be your name, worship. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, submission. 
Give us this day our daily bread, asking for that provision. Forgive us our debts, our trespasses, as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who have trespassed against us, which means making things right with the people in our life because we know our time is not guaranteed. That is forgiveness. I really feel like I need to repeat that. Make things right with the people in your life. If you have to be the one to step forward to do it, then guess what? That is an example of Jesus, and go do it. God will reward you regardless of what that person's reaction or what they may say or do. God will reward you because unforgiveness is like a millstone tied around our own neck that drags us down. So I encourage you to search your heart today. And if there's something somebody God's put on your heart right now, when we leave from this building today, go do it. Go do it. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's God's protection. And finally, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Praise. So, brothers and sisters, reverence, worship, submission, provision, forgiveness, protection, and praise. Those are the foundations of our heart of prayer. It's amazing how God has given us access to him in such a beautiful, detailed way. But how many of us have not tapped fully into the power of how prayer really changes everything? In his book, Running with Horses, Eugene Peterson quotes this about prayer. Prayer is never complete and unrelieved solitude. It is, though, carefully protected and skillfully supported intimacy. Prayer is the desire to listen to God firsthand, listen first, to speak to God, and then setting aside time and making the arrangements to do it. It issues from the conviction that the living God is immensely important to me and that what goes on between us demands my exclusive attention. Our Father God is not asking us to be perfectly prepared because in our weakness, he's made strong. He's not asking us to get everything in our lives right first. He says, come just as you are. What he is asking us today is simply to be available, available to go deeper in our relationship with him, available to trust him more. Hmm, to trust him more. Reminds me of the song that says, Oh, for grace to trust him more. And when we know the grace of our Lord and Savior, that we are saved by grace, it's for that grace that we can trust him more. Because out of that and understanding the love, the unconditional love that he has for us, out of that will then become the overflow that takes us into our daily lives, into our workspaces, into our schools for our younger generation, into the colleges for our, our young adults, into uh, the marketplace, into wherever God has called us to. That overflow will then carry us in not just to be there, but to be his hands and his feet. So I invite you, church. To search yourself and ask God, Father, how are you asking me, calling me to be more available to you so I can carry out the calling in my life and the prompting that you have in my heart to be that love that's so needed? Let's read it together again, church. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's read this together. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you as my representatives. John chapter 20, verse 21. One of the things that is so beautiful is that when God calls us to something, there is a promise that comes with that when we are obedient to what he has called us to. So I invite you, brothers and sisters, to close your eyes right now and take in that promise of what God's word says when we are his hands and feet. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. It says, teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. I will be with you always, remaining with you perpetually. I will say it again. I will be with you always. Our God is a God who never leaves and never forsakes. No matter what trial, no matter what struggle, no matter what temptation, no matter what battle we have faced, he is a God who never leaves and never forsakes. I will be with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance, on every occasion even to the end of the age. You know, I didn't, I didn't do this in, in the first service, but I feel like the Holy Spirit is prompting me right now while all of our eyes are closed, no one's looking around the room. If you felt God really speak to you today and you know that there are areas of your life that you have been doubting him in, today's the day for you to simply say, Lord, I surrender. So a gesture of that surrender is simply just lifting your hand. Nobody's looking around and speaking those words, I surrender, and then just gently slipping your hand back down. Hallelujah. God, I want to thank you for the hands that are going up all over this place. I'm not even looking, so I don't even see who they are, but you know who they are, person by person, name by name, that are saying, God, I surrender. I no longer want to live in a comfortable life doing the things that I think I just need to do for myself to get by. I surrender. I want to have open spiritual eyes to see those that are hurting and lost around me. I surrender. God, I don't want to be confused by the things of this world trying to give me my identity because you said in you I live and move and have my being. I surrender. I am here. God, I am here. I am available. I'm available for your love. I'm available to be obedient to you. I'm available for your guidance. I surrender.